How are you doing? How are you doing? I've asked that question of a number of people this morning. And several people have asked me the same thing. What do we mean by that? How are you doing? How are you doing physically? How are you doing emotionally? How's your life doing? Is that what's... We we generally infer that from that phrase. How are you doing? Right? Okay? But there are a lot of questions that we could raise around that. When we talk about how are you doing physically, sometimes we don't tell the truth. Right? Well, I'm doing fine. Oh, no, no, I'm not. Or maybe something worse. How are you doing emotionally? Going through a very difficult time. Maybe you've suffered a, a significant loss. How are you doing? Not so well. And if a person gives an answer like that, are you prepared to help them? I hope so. That that would be a great thing. How are you doing financially? Why, I have more money than I know what to do with. I could make some suggestions. You could ask that question in a number of different venues. And here's one that I would ask all of us. How are you doing reaching others with the gospel of Christ? How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? That would be a little tougher to answer, wouldn't it? We have looked at Paul's writings here in Romans that have been directed by the Spirit of God, and he has taken us into a realm that is very, very difficult and oftentimes becomes very divisive. And it involves two what many believe are polarizing concepts. On one hand, we talk about the sovereignty of God. And we talk about his election. And included with that election comes the the follow-up of predestination. And we want to be clear on what each of those terms mean. When we talk about God's sovereignty, we talk about his absolute freedom to do whatever he chooses within the realm of his own nature and his own being. When we talk about his election, we talk about his moving in an effectual way to choose individuals and draw them to himself, to cause them to open their hearts in faith and trust Christ as their Savior. When we talk about predestination, we talk about the the objective that God has established to conform all those whom he has chosen to be like Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ, which will be fulfilled one day when we see him. One day when we see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And there are some people that have clung to that to such a degree that their concept of reaching the lost depends solely on the elective purpose of God. 
He chooses individuals to be saved. You can't avoid it. You, you, you can't avoid that understanding, especially as you read through the book of Romans and you come to these passages that, that we've seen here, particularly in, in, in chapter 8, or pardon me, chapter 9. But one of the things that betrays us is that that is not the only part of the story. There is also the human dimension. There is the requirement that we as followers of Christ communicate the best that we can the truth of the gospel so that others by choice will reach out in faith and put their trust in Christ as Savior. Now that becomes where... That's the point where the tension begins to rise. Do you believe in election? Yep. Do you believe in human responsibility? Yep. Both are part of God's Word. And today, we're moving into the second dimension of that because we have already looked at the first part of that where we talk about the elective purpose of God. Someone hid my little clicker here. Here we go. Today we're looking at the winning combination. We've been looking at this for the last, well, apart from the, the, the special events that we've had in the past weeks that we've been looking here at Romans chapter 9. And we found that for a person to be a, a, an individual who has a real desire to reach others with the gospel, it takes a heart of compassion. And Paul expressed that in the first part of chapter 9 when he talked about how he longed that his people, the Jews, would put their faith and trust in Christ as their Savior. And he talked about the different uh, aspects of that great compassion that he had for them, knowing that apart from Christ, their eternal destiny was to be doomed for all eternity in hell and ultimately cast into the lake of fire. He said, I I wish I could be set apart from the Lord if only my people would come to know Christ. But that was not a possibility. Individuals are responsible to put their trust in Christ. Then he went on into the realm of the sovereign purpose of God, where God does what he chooses to do, and as we went on in chapter 9, all the way here up through verse 13, and if you, you want to skim through that again, beginning at verse 6, you can see that there were a variety of different ways in which God exercised his sovereignty. He exercised that sovereignty in the decrees that he made, he exercised that sovereignty in the power that he demonstrated, and he exercised that sovereignty in the choices he made. And that's really where a lot of the rub comes, because when you get down here to verses uh, 11 and 12 and 13, um, he said, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger in verse 12, and then in verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, do you all remember what we talked about when we talked about hate? How the Lord says, unless a man hates his mother and father and his wife and his um, husband, I'm not sure that that part's in there, but I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and, And you hate all other... He is not talking about any type of malice toward another individual. He is talking about they are not the primary focus of the purpose for which we live. Your mate is not the primary 
focus of your life. It shouldn't be. Your children should not be the primary focus of your life. Christ should be the primary focus of your life. And then things are right with the mate, with the children, with the parents, with all earthly relationships. So he, he says this, I have chosen in, for my purpose, I have chosen to set apart Jacob rather than Esau, even though Esau was the firstborn. And when you come to that, you, you say, oh, there is really a, a very stringent focus upon God's sovereign purposes and his elective purposes. But he goes on in the following verses, and I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 9, if you're not there already, and begin looking down here at verse 14. Because when we get to verse 14, we begin to understand why people are responsible personally to put their faith and trust in Christ as Savior, to make a choice, to make a decision, to, in, to engage their will, to reach out in faith and trust Christ as Savior. And so what he goes on to tell us is this, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? That, that question is raised in light of the fact that God had just declared his elective purpose in setting apart Jacob over Esau. Is God unrighteous? He, he's changed traditions. Does that make him unrighteous? No, no. And, and we're going to find out why. As he goes on, he tells us this. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Do you understand that that is the definition of sovereignty? I make the choice. I do what I choose to do. If you and I said that, it would be selfish, it would be motivated by sinful uh, desires, it would be absolutely wrong to make our will the primary directive by which we live. But it is absolutely right for a holy, sovereign, just, righteous, loving, truthful, all-powerful, all-knowing God to say, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And then he goes on to give us uh, an example. Because when you get down to verse 16, it says, So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. Now we begin to move into the realm of human responsibility. And what we find is that people are responsible to put their faith and trust in Christ personally, because God does not condemn arbitrarily. And this is, this is where it's very, very difficult for us to, to lay hold of this truth. God uses an example of a man by the name of Pharaoh to show us the, the very depths of the human heart. And in a way, 
Pharaoh becomes the example of all humankind. He becomes someone whom God uses and sets apart in a very special way so we can almost look in the mirror and say, you know what, his heart is an awful lot like my heart before I trusted Christ as my Savior. Or perhaps you would have to say, that's the way my heart is today. What God says to us about Pharaoh is this. He gives a prophecy. He says to Moses, Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. Well, let me back up and and set set the the, the picture here. And most of you are probably familiar with the the setting, I'm sure. But the the children of Israel went down into Egypt to uh, survive the the famine that was going on in in Israel, uh, Canaan at the time. And and they are now living down in Egypt. And they've been there for many, many years. They've reproduced dramatically. They they have uh, come to the place where the Egyptians have become afraid of them and uh, they're killing the babies and so forth uh, so that the the uh, Israelites do not rise up with the enemies of Egypt and fight against them. And that's kind of the setting of this. But the Egyptians have been treating the, the Israelites horribly. They have been causing them to do uh, work in such a way that they have become, quite frankly, more than slaves. They, they are chattel in, in the eyes of the Egyptians. And now God is about to deliver his people and give a beautiful picture of the deliverance that God gives to those who put their trust in Christ out of the slave market of sin into the realm of life. And so God sends Moses, who had been spared from the, the demise that was intended for all of the babies. And, and you know the story about Moses. But now it's time for him to lead the children of Israel out. But there's somebody standing in his way, the person whose heart reflects ours, or ours reflects his. And God says to Moses, I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and I'm going to see to it that you ultimately lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. But, but Pharaoh's heart is going to harden. Listen to what he says in Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. Pastor Stephen had taken us into the book of Exodus earlier, and you can trace this process as you go through. It says in Exodus chapter 4, verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Wait a minute. God's going to do the hardening? Yes. But is there a reason for which that occurs? Yes. Because when Moses goes back to talk to Pharaoh, you, you read about the, the initial uh, miracles that were performed by, by the, the rod, uh, the, the walking stick, and, and the, 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 those guys, the deceivers, Sorcerers! The sorcerers, they, they were able to duplicate the, the miracle, uh, which, quite frankly, for them was a sleight of hand, and, and Moses' snake came and ate theirs. Boy, there's really a story in there, too. Anyway, Moses has asked Pharaoh to let his people go, and Pharaoh's response. Now listen to this. 
the personal responsibility, Pharaoh talks to him after the second plague, the, the, the frogs, I believe that was the second plague, come. And now they're being removed. And, and the Lord says this, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, when the frogs were taken away, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Now, did you catch that? Pharaoh hardened his heart. God said, I'm going to harden his heart. But what happened first? The sinfulness of, of, of uh, Pharaoh's heart emerges when he feels like, okay, now this big plague that we have experienced has been taken away, and so now what we're dealing with is things back to normal. It's, it's business as usual. I'm not letting you guys go. He hardened his own heart. And because he did that, he continued to go further and further into his resolve to resist God's direction to let the people of Israel go. So the next time he is confronted with this type of a situation, listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 9, verse 7. It says, Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. Setting. One of the plagues came, killed all of the livestock of the Egyptians. The children of Israel were living in an area that was not touched by the plague. Pharaoh saw that. And how does he respond? It says, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Now it's just the growth of what's happening. First, he hardens his heart. Now the outworking of a hardened heart is to develop an even harder heart. I am not letting those people of Israel go. And then the next plagues hit. And in Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, we read this. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before them. When we harden our hearts, whether it's to the truth of the Gospel, whether it's to the instruction of God's Word, whether it's to the virtues by which followers of Christ should live, when we harden our hearts, they get hard. And when we have gone far enough with hardening our own hearts, God steps in and says, that's what you want. That's what you get. Do you remember what Paul said in the first chapter of Romans? How people had been turning away from him and in that first chapter, how they had given themselves over to uh, things which are against nature. Specifically, men with men, women with women. What we're facing today. And this is not merely a decision of people to live their lives in rebellion against God's Word, but in and of itself, it is a judgment that's falling because now what God said is, I am turning them over to themselves. Their hearts are going to continue to get hardened. And what do we see all around us? We see the same thing that happened with Pharaoh. You see it happening all around. And people are continuing. And, and uh, whether or not you're born with this 
inclination or whether or not it's something that's developed is really not the issue. I was born a sinner. I was born a heterosexual sinner. And my desires, honey, were not always pure. From a human point of view, it would have been very pleasing to become involved in immorality. God was gracious, but the, the, the tug was there. By the way, you guys that are married, does that still trouble you? Still pulled by lust? Nobody's answering me. <laughs> I could just see one person answer and there'd be a backhand come up like this. <laughs> Obviously, I did not expect you to give an answer to that. But here's, here's what men know. It's still there. It's still there. You have to deal with it every day. And so the person that has the proclivity to move towards someone of their own gender, I have no sympathy for you. Because you have to deal with the same thing that heterosexuals deal with. I'm, I'm probably getting into an area that's... But we need to talk about it. If you have an inclination that way, you have to deal with it God's way. And so there is no excuse, born with it or not born with it, having it develop or not develop. It's part of who we are. You have to say no to sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if a person that's homosexual comes to know Christ as Savior, you've got the power in you to say no to that lifestyle. And that's the way we should live. And I have the power in me to say no to, to women that aren't my wife. Not that there are people asking. <laughs> just hit me what I was saying. You can relax, honey. <laughs> You're the only one. <laughs> Back to the message. By the time God turns a person over to themselves... The die is cast, not only for the behavior of that person, but ultimately for the destiny of that person, unless God graciously reaches into their heart and turns them around. Now you might say this, how is it that a person hardens his heart? One of the things, when I was a teacher uh, teaching uh, Bible in, in a high school. I had 7th through 12th grade. And I know that different people have different objectives and different goals. And I really wanted to teach the kids knowledge. And, and I wanted to teach them what the Bible had to say. But I had an objective. I had a goal. And the goal was very, very simple. I want to see these kids' hearts stay soft toward the Lord. Because He will take care of them in the years to come. I'm not going to be around. Their pastors won't be around. Their parents won't be around. It is going to be the Lord that has to care for them in the softness of their heart. What's the difference between a hard heart and a soft heart? 
It's the person who is being touched by God's hand that makes the difference. Do any of you remember the name Oliver Green? Oliver Green was an old Bible teacher many, many years ago. He has been with the Lord for a, for a number of years. He wrote a whole bunch of books. And uh, he, my parents would listen to Oliver Green every morning on the radio. And Oliver Green was a good, solid Bible teacher. And I'd be sitting there and I'd be listening to him. Believe it or not, I, re- I remember an illustration he used of the hardness of people's hearts. He said, you take a lump of clay and you take a block of ice and you put them out under the rays of the blazing sun and one melts and the other hardens. Now that's personal. When God speaks, when God moves in your life, do you melt Or do you harden? As believers, we can harden our hearts too. But it's not an arbitrary issue with God. You make decisions. I make decisions. And the brightness of the light of God's Word either melts our hearts or it hardens our hearts. It's up to you. Paul goes on into the next area that he addresses with this, and he tells us that people are responsible to trust Christ as Savior because God said we are. When we we talk about the thing that separates us from God, here here is what some people uh, have the audacity to say. Well, I have been separated from God because I am not one of the elect. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I have. I have heard people say this. I'm not one of the elect. Or someone uses this excuse. Well, they must not be one of the elect. I don't know if they're elect or not. That's really not my concern. Here's what I do know. I'm one of the elect because I trusted Christ as my Savior whom I needed not because of being elect or non-elect but because I was a sinner. Sin was the issue. What is it that separates us from our God? It is sin. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what I've got and what I have to deal with is the issue of sin. It's not an issue of election. It's an issue of my looking at myself and saying, do I need a Savior? And the answer is, yes, I need a Savior. But then I hear people say this, well, I can't possibly believe in, pre, in double predestination. Have you ever heard that phrase? They use it incorrectly, but what they mean is, I, I don't believe in double election. We, we want to define the, the words properly. I don't believe in double election either. And what the argument is, is this, God elects some to be saved, and he elects others to be lost. Now that seems to be the logical conclusion, but that is not the truth. Do you know why? All are lost. It isn't a matter of God electing us, it's a matter of my sin. 
It's a matter of my rebellion against my Creator. It's a matter of my failure to recognize the ultimately righteous standard that has to be mine if I am going to be accepted by God. And, and I can't get there. So I have to rely on someone else and the someone else is the person of Christ in whom I dwell and I am I'm clothed then with His righteousness. But it isn't a matter of God electing someone to be lost. We're all lost. It is purely the grace of God and His elective purpose that reaches down and takes some from that slave market of sin, from the ultimate demise, eternal demise, and pulls us out by His grace. But you know what my part is? To look to Him and live. To decide that Christ is the one who died for me. I'm, I'm going to make this assumption, and, and I believe this is true. Most of us in here are believers in Christ. Would that be accurate? Right? Okay, that, that's weak, but... How many of you, at the time your heart opened to Christ and you said, yes, I really believe that Jesus is the Savior who died for me. I am one of the elect. How many of you said that? Nobody said that. I have heard people say this. I don't believe in Jesus. I mustn't be one of the elect. Yep. Because when God works in your heart, you are going to turn in faith. But you have to, to respond. You have to cooperate in God's program. And, and it will be done effectually. Those of you who are, are Calvinists and, and, and you, you know all the arguments for this. Yes, it is God who does the work. But there is the human dimension that is required. And God says, we are responsible. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? Who does that belong to? To us. I have to call on the Lord to be saved. I'm not worried about whether I'm elect or not. What I am concerned about is I make the right decision and I put my trust in Christ as Savior. The other part is God's part. This is my part. And He allows us to be part of this as He takes us into the next realm which shows us that God's program reveals that we are responsible. What does the Great Commission say? Go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Uh, depending on your translation, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. What does that require? It requires a decision. The decision is going to be made at different levels. Some are going to go occupationally as missionaries. Most will have to make the decision within their home, within their neighborhood, within their workplace, within their extended families. To say, I am going to be part, I choose to be part of God's program in taking the gospel to the lost. You know what that brings us back to, don't you? How are you doing? How are you doing? 
Not physically, not emotionally, not financially. How are you doing in carrying the gospel? You and I have that privilege. And it is a decision we make. It is a choice in which we are involved. And God allows us to be part of that. And He allows us to participate with Him in an eternal work that causes us to see from the human point of view the results of the work that He is doing in the hearts of people with whom we share the gospel. And you hear someone say this, I need Jesus. You, you have something that I don't have. And you've told me what it is. You've trusted Christ. I want to trust Him too. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? How are you doing? How are you doing? The Lord calls some to be pastors. I would not be here if it wasn't for a call. And I would never recommend to anyone that you ever become a pastor unless you know God wants you to. But if He wants you to, you better not do anything else. Not everybody's called to be a missionary, but we are all called to be testimonies and witnesses for Christ. What does a witness do? A witness tells what they know. I know this. I'm a sinner, and so are you. I know that Jesus died for sinners. And I know that He was buried and He rose again from the dead and He conquered sin, He conquered death, He conquered the grave. And I have trusted Him as my Savior and He has forgiven my sins and I hope you will do that too. How hard is that? How hard is that? People often fear sharing their faith because they feel like they don't know enough. Well, tell what you, what you do know. I know what Jesus did for me. He paid the penalty of my sins. He forgave them. And He gave me life. He can do the same thing for you. Will you trust Him? Then they have to make a decision. That's the human side. The Lord brings us to the final area when He raises before us that He gives real and ample opportunity to repent. Notice what it goes on to say down here in verse 22. What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Now, this becomes a little bit difficult to, to deal with because here is what God is saying, and we, we don't really pick this up very well in our translation, but there is a passive that is used in, in uh, one of the verbs here. And, and what it's saying is this, a person who does not deal with the issue of his or her sin will continue to grow in that sinfulness. There will be sin added to sin, added to sin. Attitudes will change. Uh, goals, directives, all sorts of issues related to life. They will continue to grow. And God is giving them time. They could repent. They could choose. There is nobody in this room, even those who have never trusted Christ, who does not have the choice today 
to trust Christ as Savior. And if you choose not to trust Him, who is to blame? You are. And you will live with the consequence forever. Boy, the best life is knowing Christ as Savior, and on top of that, we get eternity with Him. That is what's so great. And so he gives plenty of opportunity, but then look at this. He goes on to say, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared, active verb, not passive, as the previous prepared, Active, he is that work in the heart and life of the individual that he prepared beforehand for glory. When people respond, they respond because God is at work within their hearts and they bring glory to him when they respond in faith and exercise their choice, their will to trust Christ as Savior. You say, Pastor, this is a bit confusing because you're putting together both the elective purpose of God and the human purpose of responsibility. How do they fit? I don't have a clue. Say, has what you just said to us meant nothing? No, here's what I can tell you. There is a mystery that I cannot put together and I don't know of anyone that can. I know this, people who know the Word of God thoroughly all agree there is divine and there is human. And somehow God brings both together so that people will respond in faith and trust Christ as Savior. You and I cannot determine God's purpose, but I know what I can do, and I know what you can do. You can tell people about the Savior. See, here's the problem. Some people believe that everything depends upon election. And their conclusion to life is this. God's going to save the people that He's going to save whether I help Him or not. To be honest with you, I I have to agree with that. But I don't agree with the whole statement. Because I believe God will draw people to Himself, but He allows me to be part of the process. What a glorious thing to be part of God's work. Other people say this, I don't believe in election. You, you are just condemning people to hell if you believe in election. No, no, that, that's not. Uh, I believe that, that man has to make his own decisions and it's only man and he's responsible. And then I say to you, what man will respond to the gospel apart from the work of the Lord? No man comes to me unless the Father draws him. Does, does the Lord mean that or doesn't he? I'm sounding angry. I don't mean to sound angry, but it's one of those things that I... You dig in and you say, you are wrong because you are ignoring a major part of God's Word. We have to put the two together. Do you know when you bring the two together, you work as if the salvation of people depends upon you. And then you trust as if the salvation of people depends upon Him. 
and the two come together. How are you doing? Let's stand. Father, there's so much about you and about your ways that we do not fully grasp. And this is one of the areas in which that conflict, that tension arises. But we know that your word teaches both. And we do believe that you have an elective purpose that is designed by your sovereign will. And yet you have allowed us, as we choose, to become involved in telling others about the Savior and watching as their choice turns to Christ. Lord, help us to do our part. We know you will do yours. Amen. God bless you.